Welcome to episode 53 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, be known for something that matters and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we share what we consider our ideal clients, including some specific characteristics. We give five tips on how we find these people and how we find the ideal client that we want. And we describe what it means to have a good fit with our clients. I'm Amanda Wagner, a business strategist, coach, and professional speaker. And I'm Liz Hittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious leaders and entrepreneurs who are done shopping for shortcuts, no longer waiting for an invitation to do what they want and are ready to claim their spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and triumphs of ambition and bravery, living thoughtfully and strategically in a noisy world, and share our experiences as entrepreneurs with big ambition. If you run a business, regardless of what stage you're at, you probably have a sense of the type of person or the type of client you want to work with. There is also no shortage of ideal client exercises. If you have engaged in any sort of branding work, if you have worked with a designer, if you have worked with a community manager or social media strategist, chances are you've been asked before, tell me about your ideal client. I even have one of these exercises of my own. It is available at theamandawagner.com slash blog. These types of exercises are incredibly useful in defining who you're looking for and what matters most to you. But it doesn't mean that simply by answering these questions, people come knocking on your door and that they're the right person every time. If you have put out what you're looking for, if you know your ideal client and you still have crickets and you've had no bites on what you're offering, join the club. It happens. It happens. Right. Liz, Liz is nodding her head here. We have both experienced this. What we are trying to do here is compile a few ways that we have used to find more of these great people. Liz, can you just tell me a little bit about your head nod, offer some reassurance that you have faced this as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, owning a business or being an entrepreneur has its roller coasters, right? We all have those dry spells when we're just having a tough time matching and finding the people that we really want to work with. It definitely happens. And what's fascinating to me is that we assume that if we put something out and it flops or we create an offer and nobody bites, we assume that everybody knows. And in reality, that's not often the case. So I actually find that quite comforting that you can promote something or look for, for the right person and it doesn't work and you get to go back to the drawing board and be creative and nobody has to know. So just sigh of relief if this has happened to you. Number one, you're not alone. Number two, you're not stuck here. So for me, when I think about the ways that I find great clients, I first have to know who this person is. So I've come up with, with kind of five characteristics that make somebody a great private coaching client for me. So when somebody is interested in doing some coaching and strategy work, I have looked at the trends in, in who I work with, who I love to work with, what calls bring me the most fulfillment and we make the most progress. And I've brought it down to five things that these people have in common. So for me, Number one characteristic is that this person knows they want something different and they want more. 
even if they don't know how to get there, that's what we do in the coaching room. But they are in this space going, I know I want something more. Number two, they aren't what I call shoulder shruggers or people who say, meh, I don't know, or I don't care. When I ask questions, these are the people who sit back and really think about it. These are the people who go, hmm, I've never thought about it that way. And we get to take that time to reflect and explore. To me, when somebody says, I don't care, that's a, that's a red flag for me, that this might not be the right fit. Number three is that they commit to the process. This doesn't mean that we don't have to reschedule if life happens. It doesn't mean that I am such a stickler for time that if you snooze, you lose. It just means that they are on board to send an agenda, send a reflection, and come to the table with their thoughts and ideas. They really own this process and say, I am here, I am committed. I am not showing up to impress my coach. I'm showing up for me and my progress. Characteristic number four is that they are open to feedback and to trying something a different way. Something that I just wanna note, I always ask for permission to give feedback. I will say something like, would you like to hear my feedback? Or would you like to hear what I have to say about this? And that person can always say, nope, not interested. But most times they're going, yes, that's why I hired you. Please tell me what you think. That final characteristic that makes somebody a great client for me is that they are invested and self-serving. I explicitly want my clients to be self-serving. I want them to show up knowing that they are not here to impress me. They are not here to win points. They are here to do something that they want. They buy into the process. They buy into what we do together. And they're really here to challenge themselves and reap their rewards. Those are my characteristics. Liz, hit me up. Tell me some of the things that make a great client for you. And knowing that I am one of your clients, if all of these things are just beautiful descriptions of me, I will happily take it. Well, it's a wonderful coincidence that the descriptors I have, they might as well be the Amanda Wagner definition because these are perfectly describing you. I have a few characteristics that make a great client for me. Uh, I see some similarities between yours and mine. I have three key things that I want to highlight. Number one is the person has, or the person or the business, they have to trust me. So I'm the expert. They're handing over their passwords or their, you know, private information for me to access their social media channels or to get into their blog or whatever it might be. I'm the expert. You need to let me do my thing. In order for me to do my best work, you have to let me do it. So I've had a few clients who were micromanagers and that didn't work. I didn't like micromanagers when I worked in an office and I don't like them now. So trust is a huge, huge thing for me. The second characteristic, and this echoes one of yours, is they have to commit. They have to commit to it, especially for those that I'm working on organic social media, meaning no paid posts, no advertisements. That's a long game. And I outline that from the get-go, but there has to be a willingness to let the process work before giving up. I have collaborated with people in the past who get a little impatient, and I have to remind, there is a process here. 
it's not just a, you know, we're going to have 10,000 Instagram followers in three weeks. Like that's just not how it works. So you have to commit to it. And again, back to that trust piece, trust me when I say this is going to take a little bit of time, but we are making moves every day to get closer to that goal. And the third characteristic that makes a great client for me is they have to appreciate good work and understand that social media and digital communications is not work for the intern. That is a popular misconception. It's a really unfortunate misconception. I'm not your average social media person. I'm really good at what I do. And if you want some random average Joe or average Jane to post your Facebook feed, hire your neighbor's kid. I'm a professional. You know, I'm not the intern. So you, you have to appreciate good work. I love that you say this. I'm not the intern. I am a professional. I am an expert. The thing that's sticking out to me is this idea of commitment. Because when you say you have to commit, you never mentioned a timeline. You're not saying you have to commit to work with me for five years. What you mean about commitment is that you are committed to playing a long game. You are realistic about these goals. So when I say we're not going to get 10,000 Instagram followers in three weeks, you believe me. And you know that it's not because I'm not doing my job. You know that it's because this is how organic growth works. So if you are looking for, for a person, a magical unicorn who can get you 10,000 Instagram followers in three weeks, go for it. That's not me. That's not the process here. That's not our goal. So there's a, there's a great piece here, which many of these things take a conversation. They aren't necessarily things that you can tell right off the bat, but it's really kind of getting into the guts of now, how do I ask these questions or what does my consultation call look like so that I can suss out if this is this type of person? Absolutely. It comes down to expectations management too on my half. I you know do my best to communicate, but that needs to get through to people too, right? And they need to buy into that process. I think buy-in is, is going to be our, our word of this episode where because we are experts, we know what's realistic. We know we've seen this process happen over and over again. So if somebody is expecting something that I simply can't deliver, it's also my responsibility to say that. The big question to me is once we know what we're looking for, how do we find it? And so, so to our listeners, if you are one of these people who can say, I know what I'm looking for, but how do I find this person or how do I help them find me? We have come up with, with five ways that we have used to help find this right person. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to share my five. Liz also has some that she's going to share because she does things a little bit different than me, but Liz, feel free to interject at any moment. Um, for me, the number one way that I find these people is to be specific and explicit about who you are looking for when you share on social media, through a newsletter, or with people you know. This can be as straightforward as saying, I am looking for somebody who X, Y, Z. I am looking for somebody who, here's an example, is the most ambitious person in their circle of friends. I am looking for somebody who at the end of 2021 went, I want more than this. Those are some of the specifics that I can use to find these people. 
Number two is to speak their language. If we know who this ideal client is, we have to not only get into their heads, but by getting into their, to their heads, we get into their hearts and we get into their wallets. And that's what we want. We have to think, what does this person, this client that I have carefully outlined who they are, what do they need to hear? Some examples here, if you think about your ideal client, what are they afraid of? What keeps them up at night? What will happen if another year goes by and they're in this same place? And this is your opportunity to communicate those things. If you know that your client is afraid of sending people to a website that they aren't proud of, then that's our opportunity to say, I'm looking for people who are embarrassed to send people to their website because they don't like how it looks. One way to identify that language is to think about your greatest hits, which we've talked about on the podcast. And I'll include the link in the show notes for that episode. Think about those things that you find yourself talking about a lot in presentations or with existing clients. Draw on that and you can use that language to find your people that way as well. Brilliant. I love that. Because yeah, we're not, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're here to say, what are the stories that you tell over and over again? Yes, thank you for sharing the, the greatest hits. They've worked before. Chances are they're going to work again. One other angle I like to explore is what happens if they don't hire you? Are they stuck in the same place? Are they embarrassed of their social media? Do they continue using five-year-old photos that don't even really look like them? Do they have a, a visual identity that they're not proud of? If they don't hire you, you have an opportunity to, to ask somebody, how long are you willing to stay in this, in this spot? How long are you willing to still be stuck here? Because there's also a sense of creating some urgency. Most of my clients, when I bring up the idea of, do you want to end this next year the same way you ended last year? Most of them go, oh, hell no, I want more. Great, this is a good sign. Now we can figure out how to create some urgency and say, get in my Zoom room now. Let's not wait for next December when you're feeling this way. Number three, the, the third way that I find my, my clients is to tell other people what I'm looking for. Whether it is an email list, past clients, or friends on the internet, tell them. I am looking for X number of clients for X type of project. Feel free to also send this to somebody who you know might be a good fit. There is a way to do this without being a shady bitch. Because one of the, the concerns that comes up is like, oh, I see somebody who could really use a new logo. Can I tell them that? The answer is that there is a way to gracefully tell somebody that. There is a way, depending on your comfort level, to say, hey, I, I thought of you. I'm offering this. And here's what I've seen or here's what you shared that tells me that you're not entirely happy with where things are at now. This is a great opportunity for us to work together. Number four, share the wins and experiences of working with people who already fit the profile. You want to share the cases where your clients and you have been most successful so that you can find more of them. For example, 
if you are a newborn baby photographer and you want to capture families and babies in their natural space, you're probably not going to post images from that one shoot for one client where they insisted that you put the baby in a fruit bowl like an Ann Getty's calendar. Or the one person who insisted on doing a cake smash. That's probably not going to be the number one photo in your portfolio because you're not looking for more of that. Number five, this will come as no surprise to anybody who's listened to this podcast before. Don't ask, don't get, which means ask them. If you know somebody who would greatly benefit from working with you, this is an opportunity to find some bravery and tell them. One of my first clients uh, came from me reaching out to her, inviting her to the launch party of my business, telling her what I do and how much I'd like to work with her team. That is the, the purest example of don't ask, don't get, because from there, I had a person who knew I wanted to work with them. I had an opportunity to say, here's the value that I think I could bring. And I was really explicit to say, this doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean your team is doing anything wrong. It means I think that we can take you from great to exceptional. So knowing that, that my approach is, is very much don't ask, don't get, I'm really encouraging you to not only find some bravery, but I'm giving you explicit permission to ask for more of what you want. Because if you are done with mediocre clients or you're done with crickets, it's time to find another way. Liz, I'd love to hear from you. How do you find your clients? Well, one of the ways that I find clients is similar to your don't ask, don't get in that when I'm on Instagram, there's always someone complaining about the algorithm and you have to be careful because there are some whiners out there that will just whine and blame Instagram for the failure of their content. But if you find people that are complaining or they're frustrated, I tend to send them a DM and be like, Hey, I can help you with this. If you're willing to get some support with making your content a little bit more visible or making the algorithm work for you or getting a little bit of education, whatever. I don't always jump on that because again, there are some whiners that will just whine about the success of their content regardless, but I keep my eyes open. Sometimes people are complaining and there's an opportunity there. And sometimes people will post on their stories. I just sent a proposal this week from someone who had posted to their stories. Hey, I'm looking for help with this thing I have coming up. So sometimes it's, it's a matter of just keeping my eyes open too, to see what I, to see what I find. Right. And to respond to those inquiries, I'm interjecting only because this is very interesting to me because I'm a believer that Instagram owes us nothing. <laughs> as you know, as you and I have, have definitely had extended conversations with loud voices about, this is a free app that owes us nothing. So if I'm expecting Instagram to do all of the heavy lifting for, for my business, then putting my energy into to something that I can't guarantee. So I just find that interesting that something that might seem like a red flag, right? Somebody consistently complaining about the algorithm can actually be an opportunity for you to go, it doesn't have to be this painful. It doesn't have to be filled with this much dread. And if you're interested, I can support you. So I, I love that you brought that up because to me, that seems like a red flag 
but it's really you knowing so clearly, I know what your pain point is and I can make it better. Absolutely. And I think that I've been doing this long enough now that I can see which ones are red flags and which ones are legitimate <laughs> complaints. Uh, if I'm, you know, there are some people that just complain over and over again, and I have no interest in helping them because uh, they're whiny weenies. Um, but sometimes, you know, someone, you know, put together a beautiful post or they're, you know, a business owner and they're just not getting the love on their content and they're frustrated those are my people and I can send them a note if they're willing to get some support. Another way that I find clients, and I will say I am really lucky that the majority of my clients come to me, but when I want to find new in industries, find new businesses, I do quite a bit of proactivity in that I do lots of short training webinars in my community. I've um, collaborated with a not uh, nonprofit in my community, and we do regular webinars. I also do several across the country showcasing my expertise in strategy or in content creation, enough to empower the participants to do it themselves. And maybe they hire me for an additional support session or two, but there is an element of those webinars that's an eye-opening wow, this is a huge job. Maybe we should just hire this broad. And I have seen new clients come through from doing those regular webinars as well. I love this. I, I completely missed this, but you're so right. Giving away a little bit for free or at a low cost, which lets somebody see the other side of like, oh, here's what life could be like if I wasn't managing this on my own. Here's what I could accomplish if I had support and help. I had a, um, a consultation call last week scheduled for 30 minutes. And at the end, the person said, you really should charge for this. And I said, yes, I know. But <laughs> number one, thank you for being an advocate for people making money. I know I could charge for this. I act with intention in my consultation calls, which means that in those 30 minutes, I know what questions I'm asking. I know what I'm digging into. I know what I need to learn from this person, not only to be able to help them, but to be able to showcase my best work. So when somebody says, wow, this was powerful, you should charge for this 30 minutes. My response is always, if you think I'm this good for free, think about what we can do if you paid me. If you were invested and if I was invested in meeting weekly with you for an hour, what could we accomplish if we both have that buy-in? And that's a choice that I've made. Has it shot me in the foot once it has? And I'm not sure if I've shared this before, but this strategy of, of giving away something for, for free, there is such thing as giving away too much. So at one point I was offering... Uh, workshops to advertise my Claim Your Spotlight program. It was an hour-long workshop, and I only had one person show up. What I should have done was shorten it to a 30-minute consultation call. Instead, I insisted on going along with my whole process, and I explained what Claim Your Spotlight is. I walked her through the worksheets and the steps, and at the end had the, okay, so imagine we we make this happen faster. Imagine if we do what we just did in this room every single week for eight weeks. And she explicitly said to me, I got what I needed in this hour. And I thought, damn, that is an example of me giving away too much. So it's always a, a careful boundary of, I wanna make sure I give away enough for free that you're saying, 
if this bitch does this for free, what would she do if I paid her? But not so much that they go, oh, great. I got what I needed. I'm, I'm never going to hire you for this. And similar with you, Liz, where you're not trying to scare your clients about what it takes to engage in a thoughtful social media strategy and to, to use digital communications in a powerful way. You're not trying to give it all away or make it seem terrifying, but you're really setting people up to make a choice. Here's what it takes to do it. If you don't want to do it, here's what I can do. And I'm an expert with people who are just dipping their toe into social media or are just starting to explore what digital communications is, they have no idea the breadth of the work. So sometimes these webinars or these, these consultations are about determining the realities of the work. You know, painting a picture of, okay, if you want to take this on, this is what it looks like. And as just one person who's also running your business or doing social off of the side of your desk, this is a lot of work. You can do it and I can support you, but just think about how much easier it would be if you tossed it my way. Yes, that, that setting, again, it's managing expectations. What could we do? What are you willing to do? And figuring out early, how can we develop that trust? Because you are going to for instance, hand a password over to me. You are going to let me into your, your DMs, into your inbox so that I can respond on your behalf. So let's make sure that we're both clear about what we want and what we expect because setting expectations and boundaries is all about eliminating future disappointment, right? It's lowering the risk and making sure that, that both parties feel safe and there's not a question of what are we doing here? How are we spending our time? I talk a lot about fit and when it comes to having a good fit with a client, for me, that means three things. It means that you're in a position to be clear about expectations and boundaries. It means that we create an environment where feedback and ideas are meant to be shared. It also means that we have a goal and a timeline in mind, and we have both looked at this and gone, is this realistic? So Liz, to use your example, if you have a client who says, I want 10,000 Instagram followers in three weeks, chances are before they see that proposal, there is going to be a conversation about how that might not be realistic. And if that is the only thing they want, it might not be a good fit they might need to be looking for somebody else to do that. When it comes to having a good fit, Liz, is there anything else that comes up for you that, that you, you can just tell when a client is a good fit for you? I think it's about the level of enthusiasm in communications with them, whether it's via email or on the phone or whatever. I love when I have a phone call and this is not a requirement. But I love when I have a phone call and someone says, oh my God, I love you. Or you're about to make my life so much easier. Thank you so much. The enthusiasm, it's, you know, it's not necessary. It's not, I don't put it in contracts anywhere, but it's just a little, it's that je ne sais quoi, you know, that helps me buy in as well. Right. Totally. Yes. I was, as I handed it over to you, I'm like, what's the way to say that I also like to have fun and use humor 
and, and come up with kind of like inside jokes, that enthusiasm counts for so much. Or when somebody shows up to a call and they're like, oh, I needed this, or I've been looking forward to this all week. One of my favorite things I know I've shared this before is that when a client hits a milestone or a goal that they said was important to them has been accomplished, I have an open invitation to phone me. So when I see a phone call from a client, I instantly have goosebumps and I'm like, oh my God, something good is about to happen. And they're like, I reached this goal. And there's this dance party that happens. There's this, this transfer of enthusiasm where we're really, we get to cheer each other on. And there's something, there's something really powerful about, about finding that level of enthusiasm. Not everybody is bounce off the walls excited, but to have a client express, oh, I love working with you. You're going to make my life easier. Or this has helped me. I look forward to this. That's one of those best case scenario, good fit pieces. This is where I invite you to go to theamandawagner.com slash blog and download my 20 questions to find your ideal client. I would love to hear, can you drill that down into a couple words just to describe them? I'm going to ask Liz the same question, but I'm going to, going to do it for me first. The three words that I would use to describe my ideal client, ambitious, invested, and hungry. My people are hungry for more. Liz, everything you know and you've done about your ideal client, give me three words that describe them. Trusting, enthusiastic, and... I'm going to say serious, but serious about the work as opposed to serious person. Right. Like dedicated or committed. That's a better word. Yes. So interesting that, that we can go through all these questions and all these exercises and branding activities, and still we can bring it down to three words. So if you can bring it down to three words, number one, share them with us, join us on Instagram. We want to know what those words are and bonus points. Take these three words, use them in your social media copy, use them in your email newsletter, however you connect with people and talk to people and explicitly say, I am looking for somebody who is blank, blank, and blank to work with me so that they can get the results that they want. Use these words to help you find more of the people that you want to be able to eliminate the people that you don't and to make sure that, that we're catching some of those red flags early of people who might not be a fit. On the note of red flags, I am so freaking excited for our next episode. We are going to continue talking about clients, but this time it's more about setting boundaries releasing the clients that are not a good fit. If you've ever had to fire a client, I get you. We will talk about this. And how to identify your own red flags so that you don't find yourself miserable heading into a continuing project because there is nothing worse than getting a signed contract and know that you are setting yourself up for a slog. We will talk about some of our own red flags to give you some ideas. And we will talk about some specific language that you can use to gracefully set a client free and let them go so that you do not have to work with somebody who doesn't fulfill what you need. So once again, please check out the blog. And if you want to be notified of new blogs, as well as podcast episode recaps and a little bit of a, a touch from my, my personal life, what's happening at the time of writing, sign up for the newsletter. I do a wrap up once a month that shares 
the podcast blog topics, as well as where I'm at in that moment. You can do that at theamandawagner.com. And if you're curious about how to make your social media platforms better and share your story with the world, you can connect with me on Instagram at Liz Pittman, or you can visit lizpittman.com. I am fired up from today's conversation and cannot wait to talk a little bit more about some of the red flags. Um, Of course, I am not calling out anybody, but instead listing some of the things that in the last almost five years of doing this, I have found some things that are a little crunchy and I'd prefer not to encounter again. So stay tuned for episode 54. That episode will be out in two weeks. And until then, as always, we will see you on the internet. Excellent. Nice work. That was good. It was very intentionable. <laughs> God, can you like take that clip out and create a reel? Because your reaction I- was... I already wrote it down. Yeah. I feel like your reaction of like looking at me and then just be like, why can't she get this? (laughs) Oh, I'm good at other things.